Good morning. Um, I realized before I plunge in that for those of you who maybe aren't part of our congregation, you might not be aware that Chuck and I uh, were on a journey in the fall. We uh, walked the ancient pilgrimage route called the Camino de Santiago. It's been there since uh, medieval times, and it leads... You could actually go from almost anywhere in Europe and end up at Santiago, but the primary route leads across northern Spain. We walked 550 miles in 37 days, and um, we ended up at Santiago, where the legend is that the relics of St. James are uh, in the cathedral. A backpack is essential to a walking trip. Planning for the Camino, I realized that I needed two backpacks, one physical and one spiritual. And what did I need to bring in my spiritual backpack? What did I pick up along the way? And what have I carried home with me? Especially in recent years, I've been drawn to opportunities to learn new spiritual practices, such as participating in Pastor Todd's Centering Prayer Retreats. But incorporating these practices into a daily routine is always a journey of starts and stops for me. So I really welcome the spiritual opportunity provided by 35 days, 37 days of continuous walking, but I felt like I needed help to be able to seize on that opportunity. Um, I consulted Mary Lou Weaver Hauser. Many of you know her. She is a spiritual director, and she was at our women's retreat yesterday. She provided me with some suggestions, including a tiny book I carried with me called Music of Silence which describe the canonical hours, specific times of praise and worship throughout the day. That gave me some structure to begin with, and others offered their own spiritual practices. Sharon Crable blessed us with poetry. My sisters asked me for specific words they could pray for me, which helped me focus more keenly on the time ahead. Esther Crable offered daily prayer and Reiki across the miles for my sore feet. Jay Parrish sent a rock for me to carry on the journey. (laughs) My backpack was ready, and off we went. This was intentional wandering. I'm not even sure why the idea of the Camino gripped us so powerfully. Perhaps, as the description of our Lenten series reads, we were led there by the Holy Spirit in our longing for God. I do need to say this was pretty cushy wandering. We were not counting on God to provide manna in the desert. Every night we had a bed, and during the day we rarely had to walk far to encounter water, food, and most importantly for me, coffee. We spoke the language, which made things so much easier. We rose every day, put on the only clothes we had, stuffed a couple things into our backpacks, and set off, often in the dark and sometimes by the light of dawn. The ease and simplicity of it, other than the physical effort of walking so many miles every day, offered ample time to think and be with God. One Isaiah verse from today says that the Lord makes a way. The Lord made the way, and the way to God was made by walking. I worked my way through Mary Lou's book and practiced attending to the hours of the day. The most meaningful for me included the dawn, starting the day deliberately and wholeheartedly, praying that God would guide my actions so that everything became prayer. 
The noonday hour was the time to choose commitment and look for opportunity rather than giving in to tired feet and possibly even despair. As the hours went on, I learned to look for what endures and to offer up all that I had learned that day. I cherished this rhythm. We had researched podcasts and lectures to listen to along the way, but often I found that quieting my mind rather than filling it brought the deepest satisfaction. Often, Chuck and I would walk side by side in silence. I realized after I wrote that that we actually didn't even walk next to each other many times. <laughs> so, The silence and repetition of movement allowed me to notice who or what God brought to mind. Who could I pray for? My family, friends, church community, neighborhood, city, world. I had time to think about all of it, to rest in God's presence, and to learn what praying without ceasing might look like. I was able to examine my reactions to things in a way that I usually don't take the time to do, and that brought me closer to God as I saw what thought patterns stood between me and the person that God created me to be. Some days I practiced breathing prayer. Sometimes I thought about something I had read and was able to consider one amazing idea for many hours. I saved all these experiences in my backpack along the way. I don't want to give you the wrong idea. I was far from a full-time contemplative. We had many companions to talk with along the ways. Some days were just overwhelming, and I looked for anything to distract myself. For example, the day we walked 15 miles on a straight, flat, and barren ancient Roman road, I tried to entertain myself with thoughts of walking on a path that might have been there in Jesus' time. Nope. I gave up and relied on music I listened to while running, a podcast with John O'Donohue, who simply lulled me with his Irish accent, and a few of Todd's sermons to get me through. <laughs> You're highly entertaining on the Roman road. Well, now we're back. I entered right into the whirlwind of everyday life, but I'm trying to hold on to what I brought home from wandering. In the music of silence, David Stendelrast wrote that prayer is attuning yourself to the life of the world, to love, to the force that moves the sun and the moon and the stars. The Camino taught me to be present, to quiet my mind, and to seek ways to open to God that I can incorporate into my everyday patterns and activities. Now my spiritual practices most often rely on the movement that was the essence of the Camino. I walk more places than I used to, and rather than listening to a podcast, I use the time for reflection and prayer. When I run, I often pray for the city and the people I pass rather than listening to music. Many times I devise a route that passes the homes of our friends, this meeting house, the properties owned by Chestnut Housing, and other places in the city. I was happy to see that this type of body prayer was one of our spiritual disciplines for Lent. When I remember, stoplights are good for this, I remind myself to breathe in love and breathe out any anxiety or irritation or anything else that I'm carrying with me but I don't need. The Camino offered us the daily gifts of amazing scenery, interesting people, and endless walking that encouraged us to pay attention and to be aware of God in all things. I carefully put these beautiful gifts in my backpack, and I brought it home.
I'm a numbers person, so even when wandering, I quantify the experience. You've heard 37 days of walking, 550 miles, 1.4 million steps. It sounds exhausting, but we really did treasure nearly every step each day. What we learned in those 500 miles is that a pilgrimage on the Camino is more than just a vacation or an adventure. It has deeper meaning, which is why it has survived and thrived for 1,200 years, drawing 200,000 people a year. And many people go not just once, but multiple times. Like them, Sue and I are determined to not let this be our only Camino. A year ago, I would have insisted that I was not a wanderer, that wandering was unproductive and inefficient. Then I discovered the revelation of wandering, and I now proudly proclaim that I was wrong, and I seek to be a wanderer. In life's journeys, the shortest or fastest path is not necessarily the best path. On the surface, wandering looks like a physical task, but it has the potential to have deeper, transformative aspects for mind and spirit, as well as body. Pilgrims say that the first two weeks of your journey is to discipline your body, the next two weeks are to calm your mind, and the final stage is to reach into your soul. Better-known disciplines like fasting and silent prayer retreats have been practiced for centuries because of the multi-layered influences they have. Wandering, though less recognized than the other disciplines, is no less powerful. I set some goals for myself during this first pilgrimage. First, I was committed to knowing less at the completion than when I started. I wanted to unlearn some things. This first goal was inspired by Socrates, who, not surprisingly, was declared the smartest man in Athens. In response, he stated that that was because he's the only one who knows he knows nothing. (laughs) Wandering is exploring. It's getting off our well-worn paths and our views and our beliefs, things we are confident that we know are compiled on those well-worn paths. The bulletin cover says, all who wander are not lost. The corollary that isn't printed is many who do not wander are lost and don't realize it. On the pilgrimage, I listened to a lot of Richard Rohr's lectures, a very wise man. He proudly proclaims that embracing the questions of life is far more important than pretending you have all the answers. After seeking to unlearn things, my second goal was to think a lot about elephants. Last year, I read Jonathan Haidt's book, The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Disagree on Religion and Politics. Psychology research demonstrates that we are not entirely rational beings. Instead, instinct comes first, and rational thinking comes second. Biases and judgments come from our irrational emotional core. When asked why you believe what you do, your mind then works to construct supposedly rational arguments to justify the emotional positions you hold. This practice makes clear why when someone tears apart your logical defense, You don't change your position. Losing the debate doesn't change your views because your views aren't entirely built on rational thought. The author explains that your impulses, your feelings come from your body and that they're very powerful. That's the elephant. Your so-called rational mind is the rider on the elephant. The rider can't really convince the elephant where to go. The elephant goes where it wants.
This is a very powerful lesson for us. Why is it that when, why is it that you feel you are right about everything and those who disagree with you are clearly wrong? In reality, you're both wrong more than you're right. But we don't want to accept that. So the rational mind works overtime to justify the emotional feelings of the elephant. As a result, we have conflicts and wall building and good people disagree on religion and politics. So for my third goal, I challenged myself to try to see things through different perspectives, to learn by wandering. I spent 37 days outside of my normal environment. There were no like-minded Mennonites around. We were experiencing a land that was formerly part of the Roman Empire and a bastion of Catholicism. For several hundred years, it was integrated in the Islamic Empire. It then became the homeland of the Knights Templar who led the violent crusades. And after that comes the Spanish Inquisition. That all makes our murky U.S. history seem relatively tame. And I walked through hundreds of churches where Christian imagery was little more than a very bloody image of Christ and lots of statues of Mary. So I had many reasons and opportunities to say everything about this history and culture are wrong. And thankfully, I personally hold all the correct truths. Instead, I made serious efforts to be open and reserve judgment. I imagined if I were walking in the sandals of an illiterate pilgrim a thousand years ago, what messages and images might speak to me? Wandering outside of your usual self-selected environments gives you opportunity to be open to a broader cross-section of people and cultures. It doesn't have to be Spain. It could be downstairs at the community meal. Wandering enables you to take in new ideas, to learn things you didn't know, and to unlearn some things you thought you knew. In summary, I now see wandering as a spiritual practice, and you don't need a backpack. You can wander right where you are. Wandering is a frame of mind. Your entire life could be a pilgrimage. You could live life receptive to all the lessons that are there for you to see and learn from, Instead of allowing your mind to rationalize and protect the views you have emotionally latched onto, you can live life with your soul open to learning deeper truths. Wanderers are on a spiritual journey and recognize there really is no final destination and that every step can lead to greater enlightenment and wisdom, to more acceptance and less judgment. Like other spiritual disciplines, the discipline of wandering takes time and effort, but it's well worth it. I look forward to continuing in this new discipline for the benefits of body, mind, and soul. I'll do this because our bodies need to do the physical activity they were designed for. I'll do this because the minds need to learn how to reflect on big, messy, impossible-to-answer questions and not be frustrated when not reaching a definitive answer. And I'll do this because our souls need to focus on destinations that seem impossibly far away and to do so without losing hope.